Hello everyone and welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. I really think today's guests are forward-thinking and great advocates of a lower sugar nutrition and are really trying to help people understand how hidden sugars are in most of our processed and refined foods. The one thing I want to say before we get into today's podcast though is that at times you may feel that we get a little bit contradictory or we get a little bit off track. But what you have to bear in mind is that everybody is at a different stage in their sugar-reliant and sweetener-free journey. So when we discuss things like no added sugar baked beans or a lower sugar cereal as being better options, then yes, they are better options than the higher sugar ones, but they are merely a rung up the ladder to optimal health. Ideally, kids wouldn't have any cereal. They would opt for omelettes or eggs for the most nutrition in their breakfast. However, a gradual process may be better and lead to less resistance. So that's why we say lower sugar options are better to start with but they are obviously not the ultimate goal. Now, we know children will adapt to a nutrient-dense nutrition, just as an adult does, but perhaps where adults can easier adapt to a strict cold turkey approach, then the understanding sometimes isn't always accepted by children. So that's when the smaller steps are needed. Real foods with no added sugars and no sweeteners, is always the big end goal. So keep that in mind when you're listening throughout this one and understand where you are on that optimum nutrition ladder. Some people will be at the very bottom needing to drop the juices, lose the high sugars, lose all those sweeteners and limit the cereals. Others may have already taken those steps. And hopefully some of you are even higher up than that towards the nutrient-dense lifestyle we promote. So take from this podcast the information that best suits you where you are on the ladder. I hope you enjoy listening. Here are today's guests. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Human Nutrition and Lifestyle. Today, I have got two very exciting guests for you on the podcast. I've got Dr. Emily Ventura and Professor Michael Goran, and they are co-authors of the book Sugarproof, and Sugarproof is aimed specifically to children, to kids. Um, I first off saw the, saw the Sugarproof book, and I thought, oh, no, here's a book demonizing all sugars, and I thought, you know, perhaps it's one I didn't want to read, but then after going through it and listening to podcasts and things they do as well. It's not about demonizing sugar. It's about finding out all different kinds of sugar, where your sugar comes from, and particularly looking at those processed and ultra processed foods. So we'll bring in the experts on this and whichever one wants to go first. I know the first half of your book, especially it looks at the science and how sugar affects children in particularly in their mental state and how they act. So if you could just tell us a bit about how sugars interact with our children. Yes, thank you. And I'm glad you mentioned that issue um, about, about thinking that maybe we were out to demonize sugar because we, we get this pushback 
quite a bit. And we, we tell people, look, give us a chance, just look at the book um, because we don't want to demonize sugar. Uh, sugar is, you know, there's an important part uh, in our culture and our lifestyle and for kids growing up today and for adults as well. I mean, I enjoy uh, sweet treats myself. The point is to um, find all the hidden sugars where we don't even know we're consuming it or where it's not serving any purpose, like in soda, and to talk about what's different now than previous generations. Because the other comment we get a lot is, well, I had sugar when I was a kid and I turned out fine. Um, and to a certain extent, that may be true. Historical data shows we are, kids today are consuming more sugar, but it's, it's different types of sugar. And that's, that's where we get into discovering a lot of the issues. And more liquid sugar. You know, kids in prior generations weren't drinking juices and sodas and energy drinks and smoothies and cappuccinos and, and all the rest of it. So and what the science shows us is that it's those different types of sugar and the liquid sugar that's causing all kinds of new problems. Yeah, I mean, the, kids. like, like you say, the, 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 the added sugar is the added sugar because a lot of people just think of sugar as sugar. But nowadays, there's so many different names for sugar. If you look at packaging, it doesn't necessarily have to say sugar on these foods. It could say a whole number of different things. So maybe you could give us an example of certain things to look out for. Emily, wow. well, Emily's going to recite them all now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be here all day. Yes, I mean, it's, you know, as a mom, I think it, you know, it can be really confusing too because a lot of these sound healthy. You know, and some of the ones that sound the most healthy are actually the ones that we're most concerned about. So a prime example of that are the fruit juice concentrates that are being used to sweeten products for children. And then they're labeled as fruit juice sweetened, which, you know, upon first glance, if you're not, you know, up on this, you think, oh, that sounds really good. But actually that's a type of sugar that's really high in fructose um, that is particularly, particularly damaging during growth and development. Um, Michael can elaborate um, more on that because it pertains to the, some of the direct research that he's doing in his lab. Or the one, the one I like is um, organic brown rice syrup. Mm. You know, this is this is one that is is is, is beautifully named because it sounds perfectly healthy. It's organic. It's brown. It's rice, but it's also syrup. And at the end of the day, it's the same as corn syrup. It's just not derived from corn, it's derived from organic brown rice, but it's still a syrup produced from rice in the same way that corn syrup is a syrup produced from corn. But it's the same thing at the end of the day. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit for us on the fructose like Emily mentioned, because um, people really do think that fruit juices are the way to go. They're healthy drinks, you know, they are from mm -hmm. fruit, so they must be healthy. So what? how is this fructose hindering our children. Yeah, so, and just to be clear, we're not talking about uh, in any way trying to demonize or limit consumption of fruit in its whole form. Uh, fruit, fruit juice is very different because the sugars get liberated from the fruit and become highly concentrated and, and, and lose the fiber. So if you, let's say you eat an apple you maybe you're getting five to 10 grams of, of, of fruit sugar from that apple, but you're also getting the fiber. And 
because of the way the fructose is packaged inside the cell walls, that fructose is released very slowly into the body. So the absorption and that slow absorption turns out to be metabolically important because when that happens, the, the, the gut can actually convert some of that into glucose uh, and, and only a small amount of it reaches the liver. However, when you drink a glass of apple juice, maybe you've juiced three apples to get all the uh, enough juice to drink in a glass. So you know, nobody's eating three apples all at once. Uh, but when you do that, you um, concentrate all the sugars into the, in, into the liquid, you throw away the fiber and you drink it in about five minutes. And it's that it's, it's highly concentrated, it's rapidly absorbed. That combination is lethal to the liver because you've, in this situation, you overwhelm the capacity of the gut to convert to some of the fructose to glucose. And over 90% of that fructose is taken up by the liver. In the same exact same mechanism by which the liver clears alcohol from, from, um, from, the, from, from, from the blood, the liver clears fructose in exactly the same way and it enters it into the same metabolic pathway to produce fat in the liver from that fructose. So now you have a new disease called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Most liver disease used to be from alcohol. Now they've labeled it non-alcohol, but they could have labeled it fructose fatty liver disease because it's the fructose that gets taken up by the liver and converted to fat and causes all kinds of problems. Yeah, that, that's absolutely great. I think the bottom line there is um, eat your fruit, don't drink it. You know, that's uh, something to get across to people there. Um, eating your fruit is far more beneficial, like you say, because of, of the fiber carrier there um, to help with the digestion and, and help with that. But um, maybe I can throw it back across to Emily in the way that the way we all think now, the way that parents and the way that he's been marketed to us has taken it up quite a lot out of parents' hands. It's there being pushed in our face from the supermarkets all down to marketing. Why has it gone this way, do you think? Well, sugar sells. You know, kids taste these products and they like them. And they're, you know, they're easy, they're convenient. And it's just, you know, it's easier to just take a prepackaged snack out of a box or, you know, out of your refrigerator when things are individually portioned. They're so simple and easy. You just give them to the kids. Kids like them. And, you know, and some of them sound relatively healthy because they're marketed with claims like fruit juice sweetened or contains whole grains or, you know, X amount of grams protein, but really they've got, you know, either lots of sugar, low in fiber, or they have artificial sweeteners, which is even more tricky um, because some of those, you know, seem, might seem like a healthier alternative. You know, a lot of parents think, well, maybe we'll just, you know, take the regular product we buy like squash, you know, here in the UK and replace it with the no added sugar squash. Um, but actually, as we explain in the book, we really don't recommend those sweeteners either. Maybe you so, could elaborate a little bit on that for us. Why? Because a lot of people out there now would be saying, look, I've, I give my kids the no added sugar, like you mentioned. So that's got to be better for them. But is it really? Yeah. Um, Michael, do you want to take that one or? Yeah, so here we here we kind of pivoting to 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 
alternative sweeteners that um, are, are kind of increasing, proliferating pretty rapidly in the food supply because they can be labeled as uh, with, without added sugar, but maybe it's got stevia or sucralose or aspartame or any number of different. Now there's uh, over 20 different sweeteners. Um, and the bottom line here, twofold, well, there's three, three issues. One, they don't taste as good. So um, that's an issue. Second, they have their own effects on the body. Um, many of them aren't even absorbed, so they affect gut health. Um, um, xylitol is a perfect example that many people are familiar with. Um, can cause uh, bloating, and that's because xylitol is not—it's not absorbed. It's—it's it's feeding gut bacteria, so those gut bacteria feed on it and produce gas, and that causes bloating. Uh, but the same is true for stevia and sucralose, the most popular uh, sweeteners these days. They're not absorbed. Um, third, they are in, they, they, they're designed to be intense activators of the sweet taste receptor in the mouth. Sucralose is uh, 600 times sweeter than ordinary sugar. Uh, and it's a chemical, it's actually chlorinated sugar. And for some reason, the chlorination makes it sweeter and it makes it not absorbed. The perfect combination, right? I, <clears throat> but that lack of absorption is a problem. And it's we have these sweet taste receptors all the way through the body. Um, so if any does get through, it's gonna activate those receptors in the gut uh, or beyond if it gets into the circulation. And then I can't remember if it was on number four or number five, but um, basically the they trick the body into, into feeling that it was fed when it wasn't. Um, and you end up being just as hungry because what happens is the body thinks there's sugar coming in and the body needs sugar for energy, right? So if the body thinks there's energy coming in, it's going to extract it out of the blood, but it wasn't there to begin with. So you end up going a little hypoglycemic which means you get hungry. Uh, and in fact, studies show that regular consumers of products with these sweeteners end up consuming more calories during the day. So the whole, the whole potential benefit of these things backfires. It's like a fool's gold. There's, you, you, you end up eating more and craving more. So this whole story is just as much about dampening down craving for sweetness as it is about dampening down craving for sugar, both go hand in hand. We need to talk about both. Yeah, I've talked to, about the roller coaster effect before when uh, your blood glucose is, has risen and then sunk down way below normal because of the extra insulin needed in, in your bloodstream to compensate for that. Um, and sweeteners will do the exact same thing as you um, said there as the sugar will. So that's why potentially you need to avoid those sweeteners too. And, and I think uh, kids are more susceptible to that because kids um, need, you know, seem to be more efficient. Their insulin response seems to be very efficient. And so they go into these rapid um, falls of, of blood glucose because they're growing, their body needs the energy from, from, from the blood. And so they rapidly extract it and then blood glucose goes down real fast. So, so that, would, that roller coaster is more acute in, in children. Would you say children then perhaps have, have more of a sweet tooth than, than adults? They crave the sugar more than adults do. 
Well, they do. I mean, that's scientifically known. Um, that is a critical factor in this perfect storm because, and food companies know this, food companies know that kids have a higher preference for sweetness. Uh, and th this, this is supposed to be evolutionary, this is supposed to be protective from an evolutionary perspective. So we're born with this built-in preference for sweetness. Why? Because it promotes a liking of breast milk, which is sweet. It favors seeking of, um, of, of good food, of, of, of uh, healthy food that's not gone bad. It, it avoids consuming food that has gone bad or it prevents consumption of uh, toxic berries from the forest floor. But now we have this environment that you described early on where 70% of processed foods have added sugar, 80% of foods targeted towards children have added sugar. This is what kids are reaching for every day and why food companies are making them sweeter because they know kids will like them because they have this built-in preference. That's great. Yeah, I think it's, again, a um, good point to reiterate from what you said earlier to, um, fine, if they want the sweetness in the fruits, you know, we're not saying that all sugar is bad. Um, just it's this added sugar, it's this processed food, it's this ultra-processed food where they're lumping in all these different kinds of sugars, different kinds of sweeteners. These are the things we need to try and avoid feeding on a regular basis to our children. So if we really need to avoid feeding our children these sugary and, and sweet and uh, choices at mealtimes, then um, what kind of things should we potentially be looking to try and feed them? And do you think um, that on, on the same sort of note, do you think that their palates could be adjusted to actually like nutrient dense foods, which are the things I promote things like maybe even some adults don't like, like livers and, and kidney and, and meats and cheeses. Sometimes people will say to me, Oh no, my, my child turns their nose up at a bit of meat, but I'll say my child loves a bit of meat. It's what I've always fed him. So can, can children change their, their palates and, and are they the sort of things we then need to be looking to try and feed our children with? Yeah, you want to take that one, Emily? Sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely possible, and you know, it can take quite a while. You know, I've seen this even with my own children. That um, sometimes, you know, the research shows the same thing. It take over ten times of exposure to something, you know, for kids to want you know, to like it or want to try it even. Um, and so, oftentimes, I think parents kind of give up before they reach that mark. Um, but there's, you know, certainly ways to just continue to offer different foods, offering a variety of different foods. Um, my kids surprised me the other day with mushrooms for years, neither of them wanted them. And I kind of just stopped pushing. I never pushed them, but I just continued to put them on the table as part of other things or cook them into stews and serve them the part that didn't contain the mushrooms, but they were actually getting the mushroom flavor. And then um, just the other day, they both on the same day decided they wanted to try the mushrooms that were part of the soup. And they both decided they like mushrooms. And then it turned into like, when can we have mushrooms next? You know, they were like really excited. They, had, they chose that they were ready to try it. And I just kept offering without pushing. And um, that was a really neat moment for us. I just thought, wow, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, it's possible. And I think just with some simple swaps, you know, um, an idea or example that comes to mind uh, for me here in the UK is the baked beans, the Heinz beans um, that are in that sweet sauce. And so, you know, we were at this store the other day, um, my kids and I were looking at the beans and 
you know, just remembering just how much sugar is in the, the regular one. And then side by side, there's the no added sugar or less sugar option. But when you look at the label, it's got stevia in it. Um, but, you know, and then you just keep looking, you realize there's so many other types of canned beans that you can buy and season and make a really simple recipe um, or make, you know, something like our roasted chickpea snacks and put some warm spices like cinnamon and um, cumin and ginger and things like that and add a lot of flavor um, without all that sugar. Yeah, that's great. I think it's the same for adults. And I'm so pleased you said about the beans because we we do our own um, beans in, yeah. in our own tomato sauce. Yeah, that's great. Mm. So I, I think the the overall thing that you're saying there is for parents to to get back in the kitchen and even encourage the children into the kitchen with them and show them how to make things because you can make things still taste brilliant without all the added sugars. Although I do, uh, there is um, natural sugars that potentially you could use natural fruits like bananas, dates and things. I know um, I said the first half of your book was all about the science. Well, later on in your book, you have there got some some recipes that people can look at and, and put in their own kitchen. And you yeah. use things, natural sweeteners, don't you, in there like yeah. dates and, and bananas and things. So I think people should be more encouraged to use things like that in their own baking, their own cooking. And, and, and that, that can really bring out the taste in, in food, can't it? Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. And we challenged ourselves to, to make all of our recipes sweetened just with whole fruits and no added sugars. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it's an easier, a lot of times recipes that you'll find online will say, oh, you know, no refined sugar, but then they've just, you know, taken out the sugar and replaced it with the same quantity of maple syrup or honey, um, things like that, which, you know, we're, we're not saying you can't have those things, you know, they're just, you need to keep an eye on them as well because they are still added sugars. Um, but the benefit of using things like bananas or apples and other things to sweeten baked goods, for example, is that you're retaining the fiber that's in that fruit and you're adding extra nutrients into it as well, rather than empty, you know, empty calories. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's all about rediscovery of, of taste. I think what's happening is with all the sugar that's being consumed, it's a very powerful um, receptor. It's a very powerful mechanism. So that sweetness, when that sweetness lightens up, it tends to kind of um, overwhelm all the other tastes that are in there. Um, and so in terms of your question of adjusting palates for a sweet taste, you, you can actually quite quickly, and that's why what our seven day challenge is all about, the seven day no added sugar challenge is a opportunity to kind of reset that taste preference for sugar and you can you can dampen that uh, liking that preference down after seven days and what will happen is our taste receptors aren't overwhelmed with all the sweetness and so they wake the other ones are waking up and can actually um, taste um, other things that are that are being consumed so I think that's an important part of it um and 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 that's been our experience too that after a seven day no added sugar challenge kids are suddenly waking up to recognize other tastes yeah and i think personally that happened for me as well when um back in the day when i stopped having so many sugars in in, in my nutrition then you really start to pick out flavors in other foods and you really start to appreciate other foods for how they taste rather than it being masked with all the sugar. So I think that can exactly. work across, across yeah. the board, not just, not just for children. But 
would you say then that perhaps the best way to go is cold turkey? Maybe just stop all the sugars in a child's and, and even an adult's diet straight away? Or do you think a gradual process is, is perhaps better to get, way to go? I think we give, we give both options because it's hard to know and different families may have different uh, scenarios. There may be, you know, if, if your family is on board and if, if you as a caregiver can get your partner and your kids on board and everybody's okay to, to, to give it a shot. And we, we have, you know, you can't just decide one day it's a process when we give, we give the process of that in the book. But if, if you can get everybody aligned, then, the seven day no added sugar challenge is designed to be the cold turkey thing and just for seven days. And yeah, you may drift back up and you may have to do it again later. The idea is not to give it up forever. Um, but if your partner decides they're not willing or if you have you know, an apparent rebellion on your hand, there's no way I'm giving up my sugar, you, know, you can go stealth because Whoever's buying the groceries can decide not to buy soda or not to buy juice or to buy the new type of baked beans without the added sugar or the peanut butter without the added sugar. So there's certain adjustments you can make without having to broadcast it to your family. Um, and the 28 day challenge is more of a gradual thing. You can just gradually, let's say if juice is an issue in your house, you can start to gradually dilute it week to week so that over 28 days, you can start, you can be at the site of eliminating juice. Um, so we have both plans because there could be scenarios where either one might be beneficial. So I, it's hard to say every family is very different um, with different issues and different contexts and perspectives. Yeah, that's great. I mean, uh, earlier on, Emily mentioned uh, honey, and I know there's things like the agave syrup as well. And people tend to say, oh, well, it's okay. I'll sweeten my produce with things like honey and agave syrup. But um, are these okay? Because honey is potentially a real food, but agave syrup may be something different. But maybe you could elaborate a little bit on that. Well, agave syrup is one that we don't recommend because it can be as high as 90% fructose. So it's, um, it's quite concentrated in terms of fructose content. And um, so we don't recommend that one. Um, honey and maple syrup, you know, might have some slight nutritional advantages and more complex fl flavor profile. Um, but we still, you know, there's still added sugars. So there's still, you know, and keep an eye on how much of those you're having. I think it's important to say as well, it's, it's about how um, particular foods are sourced. I think if you, if you know that your honey is sourced uh, locally and it is not being produced by any manufacturers who are likely to add anything to it or blend it with anything extra, then it's going to be far more of a whole food, far more of a natural food than um, a different kind of honey, let's say. And I like the way that you say about the agave syrup. A lot of people just think honey and agave syrup are very, very similar, but not really that honey is, is a natural uh, food that contains so many health benefits that we're probably yet to discover so um, that's great that and cereals is, is a big debate that I often have people that um, cereals are good because they say it's got 30% less sugar or it's got added vitamins it's got added minerals and potentially some say you know fortified with vitamins and minerals is this the case 
Well, you have to be careful. I mean, sometimes, some, sometimes um, those fortified cereals or whole grain cereals can actually have more added sugar. Um, so unfortunately you have to kind of be a bit of a detective if, if you are going down the cereal path and look for ones that have less than say four or five grams of added sugar per serving. You also want to get one that has some fiber and some protein in there. So there's lots of things to look out for if you're going down the cereal um, path. Uh, I would definitely avoid um, any that have more than five uh, grams of added sugar per serving because remember that's per serving which is often not a realistic serving size because uh, kids may um, take a second serving or serve themselves into a large bowl. Just watch, uh, you, have to, you have to look at, don't look at the advertising on, on, on the front of the box. You have to kind of be a bit of a detective and uh, look at the ingredient list and, and, and the food labels too. Yeah, that's great. I, I always say that, I always reiterate that to people is don't look at the front of the box, look at the back of the box and see what the back says because there's plenty out there now saying it's got 30% less, there's 20% less that. And that's okay, but it depends where it started from. If it started really, really high and then it's 30% less, then it's probably still really, really high. So if you just turn it around and have a look, like you say, at the serving size or even per 100 gram is a good metric to go on because like you say, it's uh, serving sizes can differ. So always check the packaging. And like you referred to earlier, your parent uh, or guardian, is they're the ones in charge of the shopping. So you're responsible for what's going um, towards your children. Now, um, I think it's the studies more... are just, just to follow up on that. So studies actually show kids, are, you know, if, 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 if you offer them a low, a lower sugar cereal, like a, a one with less added sugar, you know, serve it with something like, you know, you can serve that with berries, um, have kids kind of get involved with kind of putting stuff on top of it that they like to do. And studies actually show kids are perfectly happy. They're, they're, they'll, they'll adapt. They're, they're, they're just so used to this high sweetened cereal that they don't want to give it up. So again, you can, you can mix in a low sugar cereal to kind of get it going and move towards the, the, the low sugar variety. So there's lots of ways to kind of change um, paths on that and kids will be perfectly fine yeah i know from experience kids love adding stuff into bowls so that's a great way to go they love that yeah, take, i mean take yeah. take advantage of that um take advantage of, of of that the kids love to to add stuff and make their own concoctions and mixtures so you you, you can use that to your advantage yeah that's great and um i've heard you talk before and um researched a little bit about it and it's um as children grow they're putting down all the building blocks that they're going to live with for the rest of their lives their cells are developing in a way that could help them um build muscle help them in the future so as they grow it's so important to feed them things like protein and make sure that they have all the nutrients and all the vitamins available to them. But explain to us, if you can, why it's fundamental that children have the right building blocks to start with. Well, I mean, I think, like you said, they're laying, they're laying down cells, um, they're building organs. Um, studies show, you know, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're building cells, you, you start off as a stem cell, you, stem cells are undifferentiated. They haven't decided whether to become a bone cell or a fat cell or a brain cell. But studies actually show that the fate of, of those 
of those um, differentiating cells can 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 be can be uh, altered by by nutrients. Uh, and in fact, fructose is one such nutrient that can alter the fate of stem cells. So, you know, it's not it's not as straightforward as we think. The, differentiating cells, it's, it's complicated. Once they've developed, they can't go back. The same is true in the brain, which is laying down networks and synapses that um, com complex networks that uh, can't be changed. A, a really good example is the gut microbiome. Um, the gut microbiome we know is developed in the first two years of life. And once you have that composition of bacteria in your gut, that, that affects the health of your body, um, it's set for life. So, and we know that nutrition affects the composition of that gut microbiome. So if we put two and two together, nutrition during that first two years of life is going to affect that gut microbiome composition. And it's, once you have that, it's very hard to, to alter it and you're, you're, you're stuck with it for, for life. So, and there's lots of other different examples of how nutrition in those early days can, can be long lasting, even, irrever even irreversible. Yeah, that's just another example of how important nutrition is. And when I heard that, and, and um, I think a lot of parents, a lot of guardians, carers out there, when they realize that they only get one chance at it, a child gets one chance at building his own building blocks, that's making sure that they've got the correct nutrients, the correct vitamins for all their cell development, they get the one go. So let's give them the best go. Like we've said, like we've alluded to all the way through, avoid those sugars that could do harm, especially the, the added sugars and all the ultra processed food that's out there. The marketing is just there to lure you in. Like you say, you've got to make, you've got to be your own scientist in a way. You've got to be your own nutritionalist and check out for those back of the packaging and things. So if then, um, perhaps if I could swing it to, over to Emily and say that if there's a parent listening, a parent or a guardian listening to this and, and thinking, what can I potentially do tomorrow to um, help my child out to make sure that I'm going down the right path with all this, then what could I do tomorrow to ensure that my child has a better chance at cell, cell development and building his own body in a, in a better way? The good news is that you know just a few small changes can make a huge impact um, on nutrition and um, you know two things that we usually start talking about when someone asks us where do I start and um, the first is beverages so if your child is currently drinking things like juice or soda or energy drinks or sports drinks um, try and gradually reduce those and replace them with water and herbal tea and um, unsweetened beverages the second area is breakfast because um, as you mentioned, you know, the sugar roller coaster, if you get on that roller coaster first thing in the morning with a sweet breakfast, it's so hard to get off the roller coaster because one episode of, you know, eating sweets just fuels cravings for more sweets and more, you know, drops in spikes and drops in blood sugar throughout the day. So the more you can do, you know, to give your child a solid breakfast, um, it really is worth the investment of time. And there's, you know, things you can do to prepare things the night before. Um, you know, or just come up with some really simple, you know, things that your kids like that don't take a lot of time in the morning. Um, simple swaps, like instead of putting jam on toast, you know, try a nut butter or seed butter or some cheese, something like that, avocado. Um, those kind of things can make a huge difference. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think it's like we say, it's about making those smarter choices. 
you know, try and get away from all that processed food and look into real food. That That's where it's at. That's also where you're going to get your, your nutrients and your vitamins from for your children right. as well. And like you say, if you can get into your own kitchen and start making your own things, um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about what inspired your recipes at the uh, end of your book there. Well, you know, they're, they're really recipes that have worked for both Michael and I and our families and just, you know, things that we like and that our kids like and that the kids and families that we've worked with in um, the community and in research studies um, have liked as well. And, you know, we put an emphasis on making them simple and making them versatile because we know that families have different preferences. Some, you know, some families are following a vegetarian diet or some families eat meat or some families have you know, restrictions within their family, you know, maybe one or more family members has a type of allergy or, you know, preferences. Kids have a variety of preferences, as we all know. And so we really wanted to make our recipes simple and accessible and flexible. Um, that was a huge priority and tasty, of course. So, you know, it's this whole sugar-proof movement isn't just about focusing on taking out sugar. It's focusing, as you said, on adding as many real whole foods into your diet and variety of them as possible. So it's, you know, really important for us to be able to lure kids with tasty things that are enjoyable to eat. It's not about, you know, just taking, taking something out. It's about what flavorful things you add in. I think it's also important to say as well, because a lot of people will be listening to this and myself included at certain points in the year and like birthdays or children's parties kids are going to go for high processed food like birthday cakes or you know um, gummy worms or anything that's right. got any sugar in them yeah, yeah. Um, but what, what's important to say I, I feel and, and hopefully you feel the same is that if you're at home in control of 95% of what's going into your child's body then don't worry too much about what's happening that one birthday party those two birthday exactly. parties a year kids will be kids so right. although we're saying you know let's control these children let's make sure they're not being um, too overwhelmed by all the added sugars and all the ultra processed food I think it's important to let kids be kids too we agree yeah I agree. absolutely sure. yeah Excellent. So that's been an absolutely amazing chat with you both then. So if people can find out more about the things you do, I think Michael mentioned the seven day and the 28 day programs you run and, and also buy your book and, and check your book out because um, I was surprised, like you say, so don't be put off by the title because I was um, surprised it's a very, very good book. So um, let's tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, well, the, the book is available anywhere books are sold and in all formats. Uh, hardback, paperback, Kindle, audio. Uh, it's also available in other countries too, but um, anywhere books are sold. Check us, our website is sugarproofkids.com. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at sugarproofkids. We're posting new recipes all the time, updates. Um, if you go to our website, you can sign up for our newsletter as well that we send out um, frequently with new recipes and new information. But yeah, check us out. Thank you very much. Let's give parents uh, something to talk about now anyway. And it's, um, I've really enjoyed your company today. Thank you both for joining us. That's been great. Thank yeah, you for thanks. having us, Thank Matthew. you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was, uh, thank you for all you're doing to promote uh, healthy eating. No problem. Thanks for listening to that one. Some good information there. Those pesky sugars and sweeteners are added into even the unlikeliest of places in our food products.
so be vigilant and read those packets. As well as sugars and sweeteners, we know we should be avoiding those nasty, high omega-6 vegetable and seed oils. We've already spoken about those in the podcast before. So again, check those packets. Do just those two things and you are really starting to climb your nutrient-dense optimum nutrition and lifestyle ladder. Now, the great news I have for you this week is because of the popularity of the podcast, I've been able to interview lots of great guests just recently. So I just want to say thank you to all of you that have passed it on and given us a rating, given us a review and shared it with your friends. Because of that, I'm going to have a bonus couple of weeks for you all. I can put out two episodes in a week for the next couple of weeks. Therefore, next week, we are going to have one on Tuesday and one on Friday for you to enjoy. These great guests are coming in thick and fast and it's great to hear from them. So keep your ears peeled and thank you again very much for your support and your continuation to spread the word nutrient-dense real food. I rate you all five stars. (laughs) Take care, be happy, and I'll see you next time. 